in at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. I can't wait. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to heaven. Whenever that is when we get there, in the meantime, we have a life to live here while we're on this earth. This passage that we find ourselves uh, in this morning, as we'll pick up in the 11th verse here in the 17th chapter of Luke's Gospel, is one that can easily be skipped over. And the reason very often people look at this passage and just kind of blow right past it is because the spiritual implications here are somewhat obscure to us in our modern day and time. Because we don't see the effects of leprosy uh, as they did at that day and time. There have been estimates that range anywhere between 15 and 30% of the entire population of the Middle East was infected with leprosy at the time of Jesus. And so when we think of this condition, we need to broaden our understanding a little bit, and I hope that we can do that this morning in our time together. It was a very slow death sentence, and though it was not always fatal, uh, it was life-shortening. And so at the end, normally your life was taken sooner than it would have otherwise been through the effects of leprosy. And what we see in this passage this morning is something beyond just the disease that we in our modern day and time called Hansen's disease. But in the sense that they understood leprosy then, uh, it gives us a window into the effects of sin. It, It gives us a picture, if you will, of our lives before we came to Christ. There were ten lepers in this passage, and they were suffering in essence, the sinfulness of the world. If you remember that in the beginning, God created the universe and everything in it. He then created our world. He populated it with all of the animals that we see, the plant life, and eventually Adam and Eve. And at the end of that time, he declared that it was very good. Amen? Then what happened? Sin. Through one man's sin, Adam, death, entered into the world. Sin and its resulting penalty, death, has been with us ever since. And so the picture that we have here, though it certainly can be equated to just simply the disease, The broader picture is you and me. The broader picture is all mankind. The broader picture is the effects of the world weighing down on mankind. If you look at our world today, another, this time a British journalist, beheaded. How is it that we could have ever gotten to the place that in the name of religion, we would find it acceptable to decapitate someone with a knife? How is it that we can see so much hunger, famine, poverty, disease around the world, and yet be more concerned with the good things than those who could use a helping hand? 
How is it that mankind could have progressed so much? Think about it. In my lifetime alone, speaking just of my lifetime, we had not yet been into space in any way, shape, or form to travel across the world. Normally, people were still getting on ships. Air flight was way too expensive when I was born. And now we can jet around the world. I myself have traveled the equivalent of around the world more than ten times. We've been to the moon. We have spacecraft that orbit over 8,000 objects that are man-made, circle the earth every day. There's an observatory on Haleakala on the island of Maui that keeps track of every piece of space junk that's floating out there. Every last thing, all the way down to something the size of a softball. And yet, more people live in poverty today than ever in the course of human history. Today, more people die from curable diseases today than ever in the course of human history. More people go to bed hungry today than ever in the course of human history. That world that God created, that he saw and he declared, it is very good. It's excellent. It literally meant perfect. What God did was create a perfect world, and he plopped Adam and Eve. You all can thump Adam when you get there. Drops them into the Garden of Eden and says, look, I want you to just simply tend it. And rather than being satisfied, they sinned. Keep that in view as we look at this passage this morning. Let's take our time to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we draw near to you, your word declares that you draw near to us. Lord, that it is two forces coming together to hear from you, the King of kings and Lord of lords. We pray that our lives would be open, that our ears would be able to hear that the effects of the week, the day, maybe the morning, would be dealt with by your Spirit, and that we would be able to hear what your Spirit would say to us. And so, God, we give you this time, praying now that you would bless us. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Verse 11, And now it happened that as he went to Jerusalem, now remember where he is. He's approaching the final week of his life. He's been in the region of Galilee, the region of Samaria, the region of Perea. So he's been in the Jordan River Valley from north to south, and he's actually going to come back through Samaria and Galilee. That he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. So he leaves the northern regions, probably was up near Capernaum, kind of his home base, and is now coming south. He is making his final journey to Jerusalem. So all of these things that we'll be seeing in the next dozen or more studies are going to be events preceding Jesus actually getting to the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. They're very important things because they are, in essence, the last words that he's going to be speaking to the world around him. They're the things that he wanted the world to know 
before he exited the earth, before he gave his life a ransom for many. So they're very important things. This seems obscure, but it's not obscure. And then as he entered a certain village, there he met ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off. What is leprosy? And I think it's really important for us to delve into this a little bit before we move on this morning. What is it? What did it look like? Today we can actually cure. It's not that big a deal. And in fact, it still terrifies people, but it can be dealt with by modern drugs. The effects minimized. But if you happen to live in a third world country, if you happen to live in India, you happen to live in China, you happen to live in Egypt, you happen to live in South America, Asia, or Africa, it's still very prevalent in our modern world. And though it's curable, it still destroys people's lives to this day. And so it does give us a picture of the effects of sin. Though there is a cure for sin, amen? His name is Jesus. There is a cure for it. Hallelujah and praise God. By grace and through faith we have been saved. And that not of ourselves. It's God's gift to mankind. Here's my son Jesus. He's going to die in your place. There is a cure for sinfulness, if you will. You still have to take the cure. You've got to believe. You have to receive. And though there is a cure for leprosy, unless the cure makes it your way and you take the cure, the leprosy remains. In fact, in our day and time and in our world, uh, probably some of you know, if you've ever traveled to the Hawaiian Islands, the island of Molokai is, was for more than a hundred years uh, the site of the town of uh, Kalapapa, and it is a very, very, very small settlement on the north side of the island, so towards the open ocean. It has the tallest sea cliffs in the world in a couple of spots, more than 2,500 feet directly into the ocean. There's a small peninsula there, and probably many of you have heard the story of Father Damien, a Catholic priest who decided that he would dedicate his life to those with Hansen's disease, to those with leprosy. Uh, those infected with this debilitating microbacterium, uh, leprae. And when he went there, he would eventually contract the disease himself and ultimately would die from the effects uh, of that disease shortening his life. You, you see, leprosy is a constant reminder to us that though we're in this world, we're not to be of this world, because this world is sick, amen? And if you were taken to that little tiny town there on the north side, this is what would normally happen to you, because even in the 19th century, people were still outcasts. If you go to India, you will still be an outcast as a leper today. If you live in a poverty-stricken area, chances are you contract this disease. It's not much different than it was at Jesus' time. And so there on Kalapapa, you would be taken by ship. You would be dumped into the rough open ocean 
those swells could have been traveling from Alaska all the way to the island of Molokai. Sea cliffs, one small little landing area with a pier that went out a little less than 100 feet. You, your possessions, and your family would be thrown into the sea, forced to swim ashore, and there you would spend the rest of your life. Slowly losing all sensation. You see, what we didn't understand then and what we do understand now is that Hansen's disease caused a singular problem that was really the, the crux of the disease itself. It destroyed the peripheral nervous system. And what that simply means, didn't destroy the brain, didn't destroy the spinal cord, but every part of your body would become desensitized to one thing, pain. So if you scraped yourself, you didn't know it. If you bumped yourself, you couldn't tell. If you cut yourself and got infected, you wouldn't even care. Are we not desensitized to sin in our world because it's so prevalent that as we wander around in our world, the things we see no longer affect us? You turn on the television and it's like it's normal to see vile, vulgar, and disgusting things that we should, as Christians, not watch. It's so normal today. Sin is normal. If you watch television much, you're going to find out that in order to become great, you need to be a drunk. If you're a man, you need to be a womanizer. If you're a woman, you need to be a compulsive shopper. Uh, what you get from the world is not God's picture of how he intended mankind to live our lives while we're on this earth. You see, his perfect world that he created has been polluted by sin. And it's very prevalent in our world. You see, Adam's sin brought death and decay. If you look at what this horrible disease does, it does some very, very, very pertinent things. It desensitizes us. It corrupts, amen? Sin corrupts. It controls. Sin will cause you to do things that you didn't think you would do, cause you to go places you never thought you'd go, cause you to pay a price you never thought you would have to pay. Always. Sin deforms. Sin causes us to be deformed in our thinking. Deficient in the way that we live our lives. I've had so many young people come to me with their list of what they call acceptable sins. You know, can we do this, do that, uh, and, and still be okay with God? That seems to be the mantra of our world. How close can we get to sinfulness, to behavior that we know is wrong, and still be okay with God? It's because of the effects of sin. It's what leprosy did. You see, as people progressed in the disease of leprosy, eventually they, they really lost touch with the dangers that are in this world. 
because they could no longer sense them. They, they ultimately would die from that desensitization. And normally it wasn't from the leprosy itself. They would lose enough limbs. They would lose enough appendages. They would get other forms of sickness because their bodies were no longer able to fight the disease. They would become infected with staph infections and things that, again, we can cure. But because they did not sense the world around them, because they did not understand the pain, you ever wondered why God's allowed pain into our world? I would propose to you that God is the author of pain. And I'll tell you why. Because it is the one thing that allows us to know the difference between what is from Him and what is not from Him. Now, as young men, I mean, we do dumb things. Amen, guys? You know, when you're sitting there playing mumbly peg, flipping knives at each other's foot, when they stick in your foot, you go, that was a dumb idea. Why? It hurts. You know, you're over there playing, you know, what guy doesn't like fire? And we're over there, you know, we can't just roast marshmallows. We have to turn the marshmallow stick into a glowing object that can be seen from Mars. And we heat it up, and we, and then you stick your friend in the forehead with it, and he now has this fork H in his forehead. The pain says, that was dumb. So much of our world is, is known and actually understood the boundaries thereof by pain. Pain is a wonderful way for us to get a reality check. Amen? What happens if you're no longer sensitive to pain? Can you imagine, especially young men who have no capacity to feel pain? And he'd be out jumping out of trees, onto asphalt. They'd try anything if it didn't hurt. And so it is with sin. Sin hurts for a reason. God doesn't want you engaged in sin. It's destructive. He knows what's best. And so he allows us the pain of sin to understand exactly what will happen later if you stay in it. That's why Paul said, and such were some of you. And he lists all these things that we could become engaged in that are not from him. All of those long lists of sins that you find in the book of Romans, the book of Galatians, 1 Corinthians, those things are painful. doesn't seem painful. But they will be painful. Most of us can testify and say yes and amen to the painfulness of sin. Amen? amen? And so ultimately, what happens is, is you begin to look at your world in that desensitized way. I can't tell you how many people have been in my office or I've sat in this church or out in the parking lot and they simply don't have any understanding of how their life ended up such a mess. And then I begin to discuss with them, well, where have you been? What have you done? 
what's your life been like? And you find some seed of sin that ended up creating this desensitized person who now didn't start out to be a crackhead, didn't start out to have their finances ruined, didn't start out to destroy their marriage, but there was some little thing that led to a bigger thing, that led to a yet bigger thing, that ultimately led to not even considering the world that we live in as being dangerous. Same picture that is presented to us as the lepers of that day. Gerhard Hansen, when he discovered the bacillus, the bacterium that causes uh, the problem, he was very concerned because he saw something extremely consistent in, in leprosy patients. Inexplicably, they didn't really feel all that bad all the time. Think about that for a second. How many people have you, maybe you yourself can say yes and amen to this, were perfectly okay in their sin? No idea that it was even sinful. Couldn't care less. I've had people look at me and say, well, I don't care. I'm leaving my husband anyway. I'm leaving my wife anyway. I know it's, but I don't really care. It's exactly what Dr. Hansen found. You see, when you got dumped off there on Molokai, you were left with just the disease. And then it became very, very, very painfully aware to those people who were there what it had done to their life because they no longer needed to experience it. They could see it. It became visible because everyone there was also affected with the disease. And so on one hand, they could look and say, well, that's not good. On the other hand, they all felt the same. So it seemed to be okay. So you can see the effects of sin can fool us both ways. That's why we're to not walk by sight, but by faith. Amen? Now, I'll tell you this next slide if you have an aversion to seeing things that are displeasurable. I would ask you to avert your eyes because I want to show you a couple of things. It's what leprosy does. Now understand, these people do not feel that they're hurt. It does not bother them to be missing fingers and toes and teeth and noses and ears. Because they have completely lost all feeling. It no longer bothers them. This is their normal. Why do I tell you that? It's exactly how sin works in our lives, isn't it? The new normal becomes the sinful behaviors that we undertake. Many thought initially that leprosy was a skin disease. Many thought initially that it was an infection. 
And it's actually a bacteria that, that buries itself deep in the nervous system. Sin buries itself deep in the spiritual nervous system of people. It's, we call those things addictive behaviors, don't we? They're buried deep. They're lodged someplace other than just the mind. They're not just behaviors anymore. They're a way of life that we've learned to accept. And to some degree, we can look down at our missing fingers, spiritually speaking, our missing toes, spiritually speaking. We can look at the fact we're disfigured from the pain that has been caused by sin as it takes its toll. You see, that is exactly why Proverbs 14.12 says what it says. There is a way that seems right unto mankind, but the end of it is the way of death. That's why it says that. You, you see, it looks normal. Everybody's doing it. I mean, why should I not go to the casino? You see, what the enemy doesn't tell you is, well, it's going to destroy your family. Why shouldn't I sit around and drink recreationally? What the enemy doesn't tell you is eventually you're going to hit somebody. You're going to end up with a DUI. Eventually it's going to control you instead of you controlling it. And by the way, that's not my opinion That's the Centers for Disease Control in Atlanta saying that's what it does to most people, period. Not a biblical issue. It's a mankind issue. Most people cannot recreationally drink and not be affected by it. They can't. You you see, God knows these things. And so what does he do? He says, no, you really shouldn't be a drunkard. How about that relationship where you're intimate with somebody you're not married to? That stays in your mind for the rest of your life. And it affects everything about you, even in marriage, with that regard. Does God erase much of it? Yes, of course, but it's still there. That's why pornography is so absolutely devastating devalues women, mostly, devalues men, too. Causes you to have unrealistic expectations about what the physical intimacy in a marriage ought to be. And people will sit there and say, well, it's just pictures. No, it's immorality. And that's why God says, don't be immoral, period. In any flavor. Why am I saying this? Because when you engage in those things, it desensitizes you to the pain that you're supposed to feel so that you understand this is bad. It's not good. It's bad. That crawling into a bottle to alleviate your pain is bad. That taking drugs to wash away the effects of the day, bad. Being in a relationship to try and mask the things that God's trying to deal with in your life, 
is bad. It's supposed to hurt. It's supposed to cause us to go, you know what, man, I need to change. Not I'm okay. You see, people were shunned. And all of us, quite frankly, according to Ephesians 2, we were all dead in our trespasses and sins. Amen? So we've all been there. The question is, are you going to take the cure? The question is, are you going to say yes to what God has declared? Or are you going to say, no, it's not that bad? And I can tell you to the people who say, oh, no, it's not that bad, they lose 100% of the time. I don't even know how many people come, oh, Jeff, you were right. No, I wasn't right. God's word was right. I'm just a knucklehead just like you. But I know what my Bible says. And I trust what my Bible says over what mankind purports to be truth. Because the philosophy of our world is if it's okay with you, it's okay. And that's not true. You've been desensitized to sin. And it can control. And it can deform. And it can warp. It can cause you to be in immense pain if you let it cause you to be in pain. But if you say, no, it doesn't hurt to lose a finger. It's okay if my ear falls off. I still have another one. How many people look in the spiritual mirror every day and go, boy, I hope I get more deformed? With their actions, that's actually what they're saying. It's okay. Ephesians 2, 1 and 2 says, And you he has made alive. And that's exactly what Jesus is going to do to these guys because what they had was a death sentence. Who were dead in trespasses and sins, in, one, in, in which you once walked according to the course of this world. You get that picture there in Ephesians 2, 1? We all used to do it. We don't point fingers at anyone. We don't make classifications of people. It's not we're better than you. It's we were all once lepers, spiritually speaking. I was in trouble. I was a leper. I'll readily admit it to you. Now, it's been a long time since I've had leprosy, but I was a leper before I met Jesus. According to the prince of the power of this air, you see the course of this world is governed by Satan himself. Amen? That's who's governing the world. When somebody says, oh, the world's getting better, if they're a Christian, they don't know what their Bible says. The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. You see, all of those things in the world that the world is saying, oh, this is good, that's the spirit of the enemy working in the sons of disobedience, people without Jesus, and they're trying to tell you, look, the norm should be this. The norm should be marriage between anybody that wants to get married. Man and a man, a woman and a world, woman, it doesn't matter. It's not a big deal. And yet God says otherwise. Now that may seem intolerant, but I believe God. It's what He said. I'm sticking with what He said. Because I know what sin does. And if he says it's sin, I stick with his definition of what I'm supposed to do in this world. That's all. It's not being critical. It's not being condemning. It's saying, look, if I know something kills you, if I could tell you, uh, uh, we're here and let's say there's a leper colony in Running Springs, a real one. You know what I would tell you? You need to stay away from there because it can be spread 
by the droplets of mucus from a sneeze. You don't want to be around lepers. That's why they did what they did during that day. You don't want to touch them because by touching someone with leprosy, you could get leprosy. So why do you think God tells us to make sure that you keep yourselves holy in an unholy world? Because you can end up getting leprosy from the world. You see the scars, the pain of both leprosy and sin. Here's the good news. can be healed. That's what Jesus does in our lives. And so as they're wandering into the region of Jerusalem, they're getting close to Mary, Martha, Lazarus's house there as they're coming upon Bethany. And here's this company of lost and hurting people. Can I remind you that the church is a hospital? Every church is a hospital. No matter how big, no matter how small, maybe, you know, big churches are like a, a super trauma center and little churches are more like a clinic, but they're all hospitals. They're where sick and broken people go to get well. And sometimes in church and sometimes in our lives, we are the ones who are doing the doctoring. In other words, I may be ministering to you. I may need you to minister to me next week. Because we live in a very hostile environment. And that environment can come get us every once in a while. And so these men, as they're standing there together, they kept their distance. That was the Mosaic Law. They couldn't do anything else. They had to stay away. They were outcasts. Do you see people who are caught in sin the way Jesus does? He wasn't put off. He wasn't afraid of them. And so there is a picture here for us, too. Though we are to be different, and we're not to engage in those behaviors, we still need to be ready to reach out to people who are outcasts, who are lost, who are hurting, who desperately need a touch from the Lord. Because you have the cure. You have the good news of the gospel, amen? That we can be set free from the bondage of sin and death, amen? That if you confess, you can be cleansed. You can be forgiven. Do you go out of your way, like Jesus does in this passage, to minister to hurting people? I can say there's a lot of the church that doesn't. It becomes a social club of very well people. We have a few slogans around our house. Fat and happy Christians. You know, sitting around. You know how you feel on Thanksgiving? Just like, man, if I had any more, I'd die from happiness. You just sitting there kind of reclined in your chair, looking at that second helping, that third helping, that fourth helping of turkey and mashed potatoes and gravy and dressing and cranberry sauce. We see some of you getting up and going to get lunch right now. Yeah, we get like that. We hang around. We're all well, so we'll just hang around each other. We feel better. Jesus didn't do that either. 
He recognized that people were sick and needed to be well, and he went and met them where they were. Notice how the master comes into the picture here. He he meets them. And all of a sudden, they lift up their voices, verse 13 says, and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Notice what they don't say. Man, life is unfair. My Aunt Sadie got leprosy and I got it from her and I just can't believe that I'm in this crowd of people. They recognize their own need. That's always essential for anyone to come to Jesus. You have to recognize your own need and so do I. And you have to come seeking mercy and grace. Not what you're due, because what you're due is hell. That's what you're due. That's what I'm due. If I were to get what I actually deserve, I would perish eternally. But praise God for His grace and His mercy. Amen? Amen? You need to see it that way. You see, grace and mercy is available for anyone who will ask. The cure for sinfulness is available for anyone who asks. All he's saying is, look, just ask. Jesus, obviously having command of the whole situation, and so when he saw them, he said, go and show yourself to the priest. You see, this is what was required in Leviticus chapter 14. Uh, There's a whole process. The entire chapter is devoted to what you do with the leper. And he says to him, look, you need to go show yourself to a priest. Now, there's an interesting thing that has to happen. Number one, you've got to be a Jew. And we're going to find that there's... Nine Jews and one Samaritan in this passage. The Samaritans were considered cursed. They were considered enemies. They were the product of the Jewish people interbreeding with the Assyrian conquerors during the Assyrian conquest. And so you have these half uh, Assyrian, half Jewish people, roughly, who the Jews considered accursed. So not only did this one guy have leprosy, but he was also a Samaritan. It's like a double whammy. And so they cry out, have mercy on us. What they were really saying is, please don't pass us by like everybody else does. We know we don't deserve it. Have mercy on us. Mercy has been explained in a second way. It's obviously getting what we do not deserve, not getting what we do deserve. But it's also love in action. Because real love overlooks faults, looks past weaknesses, sickness, disease, and it does the right thing irregardless. And so they're being loved on by Jesus. Jesus didn't pass them by. He looks at them and he has compassion on them. And I want you to notice that as he sends them on their way, he's making each one of them act on their own personal faith. It's not the faith of the group. It's the faith of the person that saves. It's the faith of the individual that cleanses from unrighteousness. It's you acting on what God has said. It's me doing the same. 
It's me by believing who Jesus is, trusting in his all-sufficient sacrifice on Calvary's cross that has cleansed me from unrighteousness. It's not because I go to church. There are a lot of people that think that you're holy because you belong to some organization. Not only is that not true, it's the exact opposite of what Scripture actually teaches. You'll never be saved by going to any church specifically. Now, you may have the gospel preached to you and thereby get saved, but you're not saved because you go to Calvary Chapel. You're not saved because you're a Methodist or a Baptist or Episcopalian or a Lutheran. You're not saved as the Catholic Church teaches very clearly. You have to be baptized into the Catholic Church in order to be saved. That's not true. You have to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. That's it. You have to walk by faith in that journey, no matter what group you belong to. There is no salvation by organization. None. Salvation comes one person at a time. One person believing. And so they put their faith and their trust individually, though they're going to walk together for a while. These ten men are going to go seek out a priest, and all of a sudden, it dawns on them, because there's a real miracle that happens here. Notice Jesus doesn't say, well, complete catechism. He he doesn't give them a whole long, well, you know, if you go find some borax, and you put that on your sores, and, and... We've got the support group, and it meets every third Wednesday of the month, and you get together and you talk about all of the things of leprosy, and you kind of get together and and make sure that you try and figure it out mentally and intellectually, and you come up with some coping skills because you're lepers. I mean, you need coping skills because you're lepers, right? Notice Jesus doesn't do that because it's a miracle. My God, our God, our Jesus still does miracles. There's no explaining it. I once was lost, but now I found. Amen? I was blind, now I see. I don't know why. I can't explain it to you. Given my background, I ought to be in some insane asylum someplace. Probably some of you are thinking, you are. Bottom line is, I'm a healed leper. That's what I am. And it's a miracle. Notice what it says. First half of verse, and so it was that as they went, it was not instantaneous, it was as they went, they were healed. Faith without works is dead. Amen? It was as they went that they were healed. It was not instantaneous. They didn't all of a sudden grow back appendages. They did not all of a sudden lose all of their spots. They didn't lose the deformity. It was as they went that they were healed. It doesn't mean they were saved by the works. It means that they had the faith to take the first step. They believed what Jesus said. Okay, you say it, we're doing it. It was faith. Jesus was meeting their faith. 
No book, no program, no steps, no process. It was faith in Jesus that did it, and faith alone. We are saved by God's grace through faith. That's it. That's why I know this is a picture of sin. It's so perfect in the analogy. These guys were instantaneously healed because they stepped out in faith. I have to believe by faith. And notice as we close, the one man. I've heard some teaching on this passage, and quite frankly, I don't know if it's true or not. But I know what the passage says. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned in a loud voice and glorified. He praised and worshipped Jesus. This dude came back and said, man, I was blind, but now I see. I was a leper, and now I'm cleansed. I was unclean, and now I'm clean. And fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. This is worship, by the way. That's what this man is doing. And he was a Samaritan. He wasn't a Jew. He was a Samaritan. Jesus was a Jew. These other ten men, these other nine men, Jews. And Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten that were cleansed, but where are the nine? Gives you a little glimpse into the ungratefulness we have sometimes for what the Lord's done in our lives. Don't become ungrateful. Be grateful every day and come and fall at his feet frequently and often. We try and do that here. But you should do it at home. You should do it when you look into the face of your children, your spouse, a sunset. As you're going to work to that job that you hate, but it pays the bills. As you're doing the things that you do every day that speak so loudly and clearly is not our God good. Because he is good. The fact that he would even care. That's why David cried out, What is man, O God, that thou art mindful of him? The answer to that is, we are his prized possession. We're the most important thing in the universe to God. And we need to praise him. Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God? And notice Jesus equates himself to God here. You can't miss that. Except this foreigner. He says, you don't even have the Torah. You don't have the Tanakh. You don't have all the prophets. They didn't speak to the Samaritans. He spoke to the Jews. And yet you understood exactly what happened. How quickly we can forget what God has done. And he said to him, Arise, go your way, for your faith has made you well. Family of God, those other guys went to the priest. This guy went back to Jesus. Some people go to programs, and some people go to religion, and some people go to counselors. Go to Jesus. Go directly. The veil has been torn. You can go directly to Jesus. And when you get there,
worship Him. Praise Him. Get on your face and say thank you. Don't be ungrateful. Because we used to all be lepers. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning (laughs) that to those of us who have received you by faith, who now walk in that grace-filled living, God, that you have cleansed us and made us white as wool when we used to be covered with the stain of sin. And so, God, we thank you for that cleansing. We thank you for that pain that we experience when we go the wrong way. We thank you, Lord, that you've called us out of the world and into light. Lord, help us to walk as your children. Lord, help us to never be ungrateful, Lord, for the work that you have done. And you alone have done, God. You're the one that's fixed us. You're the one that's given us the cure. Help us to be worthy of the name that we bear, that we are Christians. Little Christ, images, imitators of the one and the only Savior of all mankind. And his name is Jesus. So in your name we pray. Amen.